0: now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in our chat. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire,
2: never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin chains cryptocurrencies three guys faded talking bitcoin no fee that's the free bitcoin podcast insane and adoption is still the only thing
1: thing thing that matters main
3: all right now What up, everybody?
4: The part of the Bitcoin Podcast Network, episode 207. I'm your first host, Marcello.
2: And I'm host number two, Dimitri, Dimitri Lamar. Corey uh, is still traveling. No more Corey. He had to make an impromptu trip to Texas this week. <laughs> so we're holding down I think before. he just
4: wanted to get away from the flooding. So he booked a trip.
2: So? Get out of there. He had to get he was like, peace I'm out. I'm yeah. gonna fly in a thunderstorm to get away from the flood. <laughs> because that's um,
4: what you do. Corey should be back uh next episode. Yeah. Yeah. And in the first time in three years, um no Sunday episode. We missed it just because we're so busy with life.
1: Uh
2: yeah. I'm traveling, he's traveling family. It was just a weird... This is the first time ever we missed a Sunday episode, isn't it?
4: Yeah. I mean, we were in our 20s when we started this, and now we're like knee-deep in our 30s. It happens. We're busy.
2: So... um, No, we weren't in our 20s. I was 29. That doesn't count. You were barely 29, and Corey was barely 29. Yeah, we were like Charlie Shrem's age. Get out of here. Um, This this episode... Yes, brought to you by Fondue Sets. Oyster Fondue Sets. From uh, Target. If you uh, are looking to fondue, don't fondue without an Oyster Fondue Set. I've never had fondue before. If you're going to do, do fondue. Mountain Fondue? No, we don't have any sponsors. We should. Do we have any sponsors? If we do, just roll it in. We'll just roll it in. What I want to talk about is the twenty. So, Alan, thank you. Uh, he tweeted to us. Huh?
4: You said excited the way Arnold Schwarzenegger would say excited.
2: Excited. Yes. Is that good? (laughs) Yeah. All right, go on. Today I'm excited, yes, to present to you. Um, so we have, uh, we've got a, tw- a list of the 20 most influential. One, these lists are weird. I'd only care if I was on it, but I'm not on it. I'm just gonna call it a weird list. <laughs> right. me, so I have a bit of the allergies, but it's the it's
4: the usual suspects. But there's a few crazy names on there.
2: Crazy, crazy.
4: There's a few crazy names on there and a couple of people <laughs> I've never heard of so they're not that influent, influential and I've been in the space for years and
2: we have to stop saying that like, the way that's going to lose its credence like this year stop saying what like I've been in the space since x year it doesn't really mean that much now sure it does. space has grown so much how how do you figure lay it on me brother
4: I, th- I think there's a lot of value and worth that we had to foresight to jump into this before it was mainstream. So, yeah, yeah but I'm an OG.
2: To define the foresight, right? Like to... I mean, um, there a lot of people that fell into it. Hell, I had high school students that were getting Bitcoin from stupid random shit they did in MMOs. Hey, it doesn't matter how you hear about it, as long as you jump in feet first, man. Can you say that in the 70s exploitation film voice, please? How does that go? Hey, baby, it don't matter how you hear about it. All that matters is you jumped in foot first, baby.
4: Hey, Jive Turkeys, do you want to jump into a space that has a lot of women yeah. in it? Cryptocurrency, baby.
2: There you go. That's that's a exploitation film voice right there. All right, let's get into it, guys, because we know you want to know. So number one on this list um is Bitcoin Magazine's very own Vitalik Buterin. So he's the co-founder in the face of Ethereum and as a co-founder of Bitcoin Magazine. He's the number one most influential person in the cryptocurrency industry.
4: I don't agree with that.
2: Why not?
4: I feel like the first off um I feel like the the world's first investor in Bitcoin startups should be number one because he was a millionaire and dedicated his wealth to the growth of cryptocurrency.
1: Who is
2: that guy? Are you talking about Roger Ver? Roger-
4: yes, sir. I feel like without Roger Ver, there wouldn't be Kraken. There wouldn't be Bitcoin.com. There wouldn't be forks. There wouldn't be discussion. There wouldn't be debates. Uh, all Vitalik does
2: is he got lucky with,
4: uh, with the whole Ethereum. Um, he was only
2: twenty
3: totally, years
4: old. Totally,
2: disagree with you on getting lucky with Ethereum, and
4: the whole he didn't Ethereum know what it was thing. He, he didn't know that like Ethereum, what it was going to be.
2: You know what I, I mean? I mean that's why it's a lofty goal. He literally wants to create a decentralized virtual computer for the world. He wants everybody's computers to be working and thinking together. That is an astronomical aspiration. To have him and his crew.
4: I I feel like he should be on the list. I just don't feel like he should be
2: number one. I think he's number one because his death alone brought the entire market down last year. Or his fake death, sorry. His fake death. You agree with him? don't go around. On this list? Yes. I think Vitalik. Number one, you agree with that? Yes. He's the most influential person in crypto today, right now. All right. Doesn't matter Um, what he says. Number two, Charlie Lee. People, like I know you don't agree with me, but people will people would gladly hold Vitalik's balls for him.
4: I, I don't think so. I I think he's overhyped, and I think a lot of the build dorks, you know who you are, put him up on a pedestal because Vitalik shies away from price, and that seems to be like the cool thing to do nowadays. But Roger Ver took his money, multiplied it, evangelized it, and the space is what it is because. I, you know, I don't feel like there'd be a Vitalik if there wasn't a Roger Ver. So but I don't like Vitalik. the whole Bitcoin Cash thing, but back in the day, I think he was very pivotal.
2: I agree with that. All right, two Charlie Lee, creator of Litecoin and director of engineering at Coinbase. How old is this list? He hasn't worked at Coinbase in like two years, right?
4: Uh, I don't. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I would, no. I would agree with that because <laughs> I would agree with that though because I I remember when he added Litecoin to Coinbase and uh, they they really took a gamble on on it cuz we didn't really know you know if merchants are going to accept Litecoin uh what was going what its fate was going to be that was, was
2: a new I, moment for me by the way I told you that was going to happen years before yeah. it happened I want to try it again. Uh, The next coin to go on Coinbase is going to be... Let me try my... Let me tap my inner Negro Zcash. No, Zcash is too expensive, man. Dude, it's not... Why do you... Why do you act like you haven't been listening to your own show for years sometimes? It really confuses me. You don't have to buy a whole Zcash... All at once, it's actually extremely cheap at these prices. Wait, how Buy much, Z- twenty dollars worth, Zcash
4: is two hundred and fifty bucks, man. And if it goes on Coinbase, it's gonna be like a It's gonna be at Ethereum levels. That's not attractive. Zcash is expensive.
2: No, it's not. None of this stuff is There's expensive. F- you invest what you percent what you can invest in, and you are betting on the growth potential. Dude, Playing only... is like gambling. You might as well go to Vegas. You're not some sort of super genius because you put down $1,000 on 10 different slot machines, and one of them went off. You're actually I'm just trying a to say... investor. What? what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say trying that to say. The circulation supply of
4: Zcash. There's only 4 million Zcash. That would get ate up in a day on Coinbase.
3: Well, that
2: would be the liquidation squeeze.
3: That's what I'm saying. Like, wh- that wouldn't be good for anybody. You
4: need, they need well, to add a currency. That's
2: not true either because there's 21 million Bitcoin and not 4 million Bitcoin are getting exchanged today. Maybe a couple but, hundred thousand. Maybe yeah. 600,000, but not millions.
4: Yeah, but I'm just saying, oh, in a week, in a week's time. If they added Zcash, it would all get ate up in a week. I don't think you, so. You need a coin that has like at least 50 million in circulation.
2: You just, but Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash don't have 50 million in circulation. I
3: don't know. Any new coins going
4: forward? is going to need a high circulation supply. Why? What's your rationale that? Well, because you need people that are going to, you're going to want to attract crypto enthusiasts to Coinbase to buy and sell it. And if the circulating supply is ate up, there's not going to be any incentive for people to trade on Coinbase, buy and sell on Coinbase. It's going to be too expensive.
2: A large circulating supply doesn't necessarily always mean that there's going to be high volume. Bat Uh, has a very... bat. There's billions of Bat. Right? There's a billion Bat. Yep.
4: I think...
3: What do I think is going to be on Coinbase? Golem. Or... Oh, my go. Oh, me, go. You're killing me
2: today. All right, number three on this list is Gavin and Reason. I completely agree with this. In fact, I think he'd be number two. I don't even know why Charlie Lee's in the top ten. Um, uh, Didn't Gavin, like, didn't he leave? He didn't leave. He just kept, keeps quiet now because everyone disrespected him for him shining the light on the fact that the blocks were getting full. <laughs>
4: Uh, I don't know. I just thought he threw support to Bitcoin Cash and then he got ostracized.
2: He didn't throw support to Bitcoin Cash, he threw support to increasing the block size. It was Bitcoin. Well, he- um, what was it when he came out with it? It wasn't Bitcoin Cash, it was like Bitcoin. I don't remember, it was so long ago.
4: He Not said Bitcoin really. Cash is what he started working on in 2010, store of value and means of
2: exchange. He said that. Yeah. Oh well, I guess he did switch to Bitcoin Cash. I didn't know that. Well, number four, well deserved, Joe Lubin. Well deserved. Yeah, Joseph Dune. Uh, Joseph B Lubin. I love saying that because it's like he. It's like he's using lube a lot, you know. Just to be Lubin, you know what
4: I'm saying? I feel like that's one of the things that Paul Rudd says. And I love you, man. Like I'll see you later, and you're like J Lubin, Jubin, lame.
2: Just. But I also say it. it because he lubricates um, crypto projects access to capital. See what I did there? So Joseph B. Lubin. Jubin. That's kind of Number five, Number Brian Armstrong, well deserved. Arm- yeah, he should be a little bit higher, I think. He should be where Gavin Edge Reason is.
4: Yeah, I don't I disagree with Gavin's placement.
2: Yeah. Brian Armstrong uh, uh, he is AOL crypto for everyone. And he's really playing into the Marcellos of the world that just want to buy and hold and sell. And that's That's it. And he's making it easy on everyone to do that. John McAfee. I think this guy personally could suck a dick. Um, I would tell that to his face. Um, I tried to, but there was such a crowd of uh, GPPs around him at the Dallas super conference that I couldn't tell him to his face. Then I think he should go somewhere and suck a dick.
4: Well, I think you just proved this point. I mean, we're, we're not talking about the best people in space. We're just talking about influential. And McAfee's got a good following. And he uh, gets paid $100,000 to promote a shit coin. And he has his own white paper writing team. So he definitely has a, uh, some firm footing in the space. Agree with him or not. Uh, very influential
2: person. Suck a dick. All right, number seven, Tim Draper. Um, I nope. say yes and no, uh, mostly no, um, but I would say yes for the branding because you can't think of Bitcoin without thinking of those eyebrows. So thank you, Tim Draper. Appreciate you. Um,
4: I, th- I think he caters he he uh, caters to like professional investors and everything. He doesn't really cater to the GPPs.
2: So. I think he get this here's my take on him I think he's a narcissist I think that his son too loves the sound of his voice so much and he loves being quote unquote right because he's invested in a few things that he's been right about that he just wants this to be right too because I've seen a lot of interviews with him and he doesn't know that much about Bitcoin but all he ever says is like this is the future and this is going to be what the world operates on. Bitcoin. You're going to go to 7-11, you're going to get your hot dogs with Bitcoin. You're going to buy your Flamin' Hot Cheetos with Bitcoin. And I'm just like, dude, all right, we get it. We get that you own a lot of it. We get that. Okay, number 8. Uh, Newner, I, N- 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 I don't know his name, skipping it. 9. I'm trying to knock a lie. Antonopoulos. This should be actually zero. Number zero. In my um, opinion, This man right here. All right, you go first. You go first. This is a tough list, man. Because you got, like, Andreas and
4: then Roger Ver. Uh, man, you got Lubin and Brian Armstrong. It, it's hard to rank those people, man. It, it's almost like a tie for... F- a four-way tie for first place.
2: Yeah, uh, no, like, I don't... Th- um objectivity like we can't give it objective rankings I mean if we're talking
4: about straight influence got to got to go with Andreas man that dude was given seminars back in 2012 2013 when there was only like 3 people in the audience yep and uh I can't really think of anyone who's done more for this space than Andreas so, Andreas at 9, Roger Barrett at 10, that's that's wrong. Uh, Dr. Julian Hosp, hasn't he been on, like, Hashing It Out or something? Uh, Sounds like one of those
2: build people. Um, no. I don't know who that is. And I don't know uh, who Dennis Warner is. Uh, uh, he,
4: he says that he's a blockchain expert and keynote speaker. Name? Um... Who's next? Don well. Tapscott.
2: Author of Blockchain Revolution and TED Talk on Blockchain. So I do like Don Tapscott. Uh, but old, I think though. he's more like Tim Draper. he's along the lines of Tim Draper, where he's just like really exciting, has a big bag, doesn't care, uh, wants to slowly leak the bag on the public. Um But I th- do think that Don Tapscott comes from more genuine, like this is technology that can be that can be just world changing um so many implications Uh. come from smart money like oof so sexy when you think about it sometimes i'm starting to get re-romanticized with bitcoin because one of our slack listeners said you know what did you do last time when there was a lull like this and i was romantic with bitcoin like i would take bitcoin out for nice long walks and shit get to know bitcoin and so i think i'm going to get back into that but just more so with blockchain, you know, get to know it, you know. Pillow talk it. Yeah.
4: Uh, Nick Zabo. That's one of those build builders. You're a
2: killing words hole. day, Zabo. What's his name? Zabo. Zabo. You did you did it on purpose.
4: Um. Uh, I know Nihal Arula. That's
2: the next one. She is uh number 15 no by the way, we haven't we haven't been giving the numbers. Number 15. All right. And you good? I'm a scat man. Skibidi da Da Number
4: <laughs> I know this guy. Uh this guy should be way higher on the list because he created the Solidity language. And he co-founded no Ethereum parody. And founder of the parody tech. Gavin
3: Wood?
2: You said that wrong on purpose. You're getting under my skin. Gavin Andrezin.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, is say there two,
2: all these names two, terribly two wrong? Gavin.
4: I mean, that's not even a common name, and it's on there twice.
2: It's maybe it's going to be a common name. Maybe all these crypto people yeah. are going to name their babies Gavin. What do you what do you got to say about him? I don't know who he is. No I'm kidding. Uh uh-huh. I think he should be a little bit higher on the list. I think he should be at least top ten. Uh agreed. I think he's trying to I think he's lower on the totem pole because he's probably been a little quiet since the old parody bug. Anyway. Barry Silbert. Barry Silbert, number seventeen. I personally don't think he should be on this list as influential. Like influential in like the social um prism, I guess you want to, I guess the word I'm looking for um he's weird I think he's very influential with like mm, you know what, I take that back. I'm gonna say he should be on this list, and I think it's the perfect placement um he's an investor in space, he owns lots of shit, uh he's responsible for lots of initiatives, he's talked to Congress before, he's talked to Canadian committees before. Yeah, he's doing his thing. And Coindesk, which everyone reads. So that's just a little bit influential. Um, what do you think? Raul right. Barry. O? Barry Sills. Huh? Uh, I
1: don't know much Barry about him. have been, I've been, been hearing his name him? a
2: lot. What would you call him if he was your friend? Like if you had an I'd call on. him Bert. Call him Bert? Barry Bert.
4: Wait, Bert is short for Barry? Yeah. No, Bert short for Silbert.
2: Oh, that makes more sense. That makes a lot more sense. Than the I, was <laughs> I was like, Barry's already short. How are you going to shorten to Barry? And then for some, or to Bert. And then for some reason, I thought Bert was short for Robert when I was a kid. Yeah. I would even say Robert and Ernie. Not enough Bert's in the world. Yeah. BERTs are underrepresented in the world. We need more representation of the BERT name. Number 18, Mark Lind, the globally ranked blockchain, crypto, and cybersecurity advisor, author, practitioner, and keynote speaker. Oh, man, this, this guy, look out. Never heard of him. He's a cybersecurity advisor? No, he's a crypto advisor. Uh, no, cyber, he's a, oh, okay. So he's probably a cybersecurity advisor before he was a crypto advisor. Why yeah, didn't they capitalize author?
4: Why? Like, what do you do? I'm a practitioner. Of martial arts? No. Of cybersecurity.
2: No. Of keynote speaking. Pfft. Never heard of the guy. Next. I know. Talk Okay, number 19. Mark Von Rajamanam. Founder of, of DataFlock. Author and internationally recognized speaker. Uh, I have heard of him, and I agree with this right Internationally now. known on the microphone. Number 20, wait, wait a second. Do you see what I see? Are, wait, which list are you looking uh, at? Are you looking at the tweet list with the ats, or are you looking at the list that has the actual names and what they do? Yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the actual website. So, oh, okay, I'm not on the website, but what does your number 20 says? Because mine says Oliver Busman. Yeah, Oliver Busman. Why is it a different text than everything else? It looks like he Oliver Bustman uh, just like, like photoshopped his name in there.
4: Uh, and it also has um hashtags on him, and there's no hashtags on the rest. So it's very sketchy. I don't know who that guy is. This the entire
2: author. list is invalidated now, Alan, because this number twenty guy has different font and he's got a different format than the rest of everything else. Top ten fintech um, blockchain ICO influencer. Yeah. This is a SEO. Did we just do a whole episode on like a SEO hook?
4: Thanks, Alan.
2: Damn it. Alan. All right. Um,
4: hey, how about this? How about uh, D? You give me five people that you think should be on the list. I'll give you my top five of people that, that should be on the list that, that aren't. So it should be, but aren't not SEO bait. All right. Uh, should I go first or you go first?
2: I'll try to go first. Um, Go for it. Ariana Simpson. I'd say she needs to be up there. Um, Let's see. Um, uh, Carl Florsch. Florsch. I hope I'm saying his name right. He should be up there um let's see here Half? no influential and he's not no longer with us uh satoshi nakamoto should definitely fucking be up there for sure like uh, the fact that he's not on this list is just baffling to me um or she uh, whoever the fuck as we covered this list i think we just exposed this list yeah, we're supposed to shit out of this list. Who made this list? We should shit on them because it's just an SEO hook. It's tarred to shit. Oh, uh, uh, Brian Nichols. Suck a D. Suck. <laughs> uh, Novogratz. I'd say Michael Novogratz. And if I had one more to pick from, um, I would say. Oof. This is a tough one. Uh, Jamieson Lop. Hmm. Lop. Oh, that's a that's a good one.
4: All right. Uh, I don't know if I could top that list, but I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with Goon Sareer.
2: Oh, nice.
4: Uh, I'm also gonna go with Brock Pierce. Um I'm also gonna go with the Winklevi twins. Fuck that kind of, of Alright, oh, no. D. D says fuck them. Um Chang Peng Zhao, CEO of Binance. And um how about a little uh Anthony Dorio?
2: Oh, I want to substitute um Who did I say second? The person that I said second, I want to substitute with Elizabeth Stark. Oh, yeah. Lightning. Yeah. So my top two, are Ariana Simpson and Elizabeth Stark. How about us? Put me at the end. Man, we're not influential. We stay in the low. We're the best kept secret in crypto. That's what I'm going to start marketing us as. It's like when people stumble upon us, they're like, holy shit. So much awesome shit is going on. And we're like, yeah, we've literally been doing this awesome shit for a while. But we just love doing it. So we're the best kept secret crypto, baby. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, how the fuck is Elizabeth Stark and Ariana Simpson? How are they not on this list? Carolyn Vercal's not on this list? Even though I don't know, she kind of stays in the low. She's not like super influential.
4: Oh, so, uh, huh? pretty good,
2: uh, pretty good analysis. All right, let's, yeah, we should cut to the interview, right? <laughs> Here it is. Hey, everybody. we got another exciting interview for you. Um, so, interesting story. I was on medium.com because it's like my Sunday paper, and this amazing article came across my feed, and I read it changed my life it didn't change my life that's a big that's a big thing but i love the i love the article
5: you don't know that yet to be clear you don't know yet what is changing <laughs> right.
2: it's changing that's still right still sinking in still sinking in i'm digesting um so the writer's name hasib koreshi um and it was the hacker Noon publication and um big bold title blockchains should not be democracies and i was like oh, okay that's catching that's catching my eye so um, without all that backstory, we could just jump right into the interview. Uh, Haseeb, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks, man. It's good, uh, good to be on. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Good deal. So we always like to give our audience um, an opportunity to get qualified with a guest. So you can take this opportunity to introduce yourself however you like. And, and we, we also like to touch on how crypto uh, entered your life because I'm pretty sure, I mean, it's not that, it's not that uh, old had, you were probably doing something and then somebody like sent you an article or told you some stuff about mining I don't know but just give okay. us your story
5: yeah absolutely man so i am uh, uh so i just recently came on to metastable capital where i'm now a partner so uh, before that i was kind of working on my own stuff sort of scheming in the uh, cryptocurrency world as one as many people i guess do uh before that i was um, at earn.com pretty briefly before they got acquired by Coinbase, and then before that, before I ever got into the crypto space, I was at Airbnb, where I worked as a software engineer on payments fraud. And it was actually at the time that I was at Airbnb that crypto really started uh, kind of occupying more and more of my mind. Uh, so, at, you know, at Airbnb, uh, I, I'd always been aware of Bitcoin. You know, I think I first used Bitcoin in twenty fourteen or twenty thirteen, um, but you know, it was sort of it was sort of a, a novelty. I wasn't, I didn't totally. Um, appreciate quite the role that it would end up playing in the world, or in or in my life. Um, and it was really during the time that I was working on combating payments fraud that I started to really appreciate, for one, um, how kind of janky the financial system is, mm-hmm. and all the weird incentives and kind of like old cogs that are sitting at the center of it. Um, that you know, as 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 a software engineer, as a builder, when you look at a system that's kind of really just sort of old and spaghetti code and just kind of crappy, your first instinct is like, oh, we should just throw this away and rewrite it. <laughs> and, and I realized the more that I delved into crypto and the more I really understood all the crazy shit that was going on in the Bitcoin world, um, I sort of realized that's exactly what crypto is. It's like this first principles rewrite of a financial system, right? Like if you weren't tied to the old way of viewing how money and finance and all these things should work, if you were to start over knowing everything that we know now, how would you do it differently, right? Well, maybe you'd use cryptography instead of just using, you know, some vague notion of identity. Maybe you'd use decentralization because we've seen all these banking crises and all these, you know, pad incentives, like all of these different things, put them together, try it out and see what works. And I was like, that is really cool. I want to be a part of that. By the way, is it okay to curse on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay, cool, oh, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, so I thought that is fucking cool. I want to be a part <laughs> of that. So that's that's what led me to uh, to leave Airbnb and basically jump into the fray, and I've been, you know, I've been at it ever since.
0: I have, I have so many questions. Okay, let's start off with the obvious. Um, Hacker Noon is a publication that kind of casts a very wide net. How did you get a publication on there in the first place, and um, how has it kind of treated you since you've, you've you published on there?
5: Yeah, uh, Hacker News is great. I, um, I uh, first the first couple of blockchain articles that I wrote were actually for uh, Free Code Camp, which is another publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually wrote, uh, I wrote one. I can't remember the first article I wrote, but the second article that I wrote, I think, was on uh, the Parity wallet hack. Uh, and I sort of wrote this fairly in-depth analysis of exactly how the Parity wallet hack happened, and that was, I think, the day after the hack. And I was in Cornell at the time when the hack happened, which is also where the Ethereum core team was. And so I sort of was like on the ground floor as this, as people like, you know, Vitalik and Vlad and all these folks were responding to this hack in real time. And I just thought it was super fascinating. I was like, oh, I want to, I want to write about this. Like, you know, uh, everybody else at the, at the event was kind of like, oh, cool. This is so awesome. But it's like, oh man, people should share the story with the world. And so I decided to write something up and it, and it got a ton of uh, attention and people really liked it. Um, and so I, I'd seen that Hacker Noon also had a pretty engaged audience around blockchain, so I decided, oh, you know, I'll try submitting an article there. And I just liked the Hacker Noon community, or uh, it, it was insofar as how I got on there. I think I just reached out to somebody, like I can't remember. I think I cold emailed somebody who was one of the editors on there, just asked them, hey, you know, I have some, I've written some, you know, fairly popular blog posts. Would you be interested in um, in publishing one of my posts? And he was like, yeah, totally. So nice. Yeah,
2: very nice. So let's dive into kind of the theme of this interview, and that is blockchain governance, which used to be like maybe up until last year, people started being okay with saying those two words in the same sentence. (laughs) But it's starting to look very, very clear to me that if there isn't some sort of governance or understood standards like. This thing may never get to take off. But
0: well, first, let's let's um, let's let's like define what is blockchain governance because there's a lot of different, I'd say, competing definitions or maybe understandings or ideas on what this term means. And I'd like to maybe formalize a little bit on what we're going to be talking about over the next time frame.
5: Yeah. So is that a question for me, or yes, are you guys going to give me a definition? Okay, that's, that's for that's me. For All right. you.
1: All right. That's for
5: you. Uh, so yeah, so I can give you my working definition of blockchain governance, and it might be um, might be you know not include everything that falls in that category, but just taking a whack at it. I would say that you know, blockchain governance is fundamentally the process by which you define the rules that dictate how the blockchain works and how those rules change over time. So. You know, there's a spectrum, obviously, of governance such that the governance can be very, very formal. uh, And there's, you know, for for some cases, there there are some protocols uh, such as Tezos, which define an intra-protocol way that decisions are made about how the blockchain is going to work in the future. Um, Bitcoin also has some some on-chain governance through the the minor signaling method, right? Uh, So there's some decisions that are sort of made or very strongly almost made, uh, basically, internal to the protocol and then on the other hand there's what's known as off-chain governance and in off-chain governance uh, basically human beings out in the the world of meat space get together in some way whether through some you know formal organization or whether just on message boards or whatever Uh, they come to some agreement about what should happen and then other human beings decide whether or not to follow the activities or the, or the decrees of that organization. Um, and blockchains fall on a spectrum. Some decisions are made informally, some are formal. Some decisions are made on-chain, some, some are made off-chain. Um, right now that's what blockchain governance looks like to me, but I think there's there are some other things there that I probably missed too.
0: All right, so in essence, if I give, had to give you like a too long, didn't read, how the fuck do we change the rules around what the blockchain says is right? Correct. All right, there's two different methods. You have on-chain rules, which is like uh, basically a method that is defined amongst the ru- the current rule set of that blockchain that will mm-hmm. define how you change those rules. And then kind of an out-of-band mechanism that says the meat space, the people who are using this technology define how those rules. And then you make some type of social change and everyone makes a decision on which which chain to follow, right? Yep. Yeah. So, which one I know I, I, this may be a loaded question in your opinion, what's the right way to go?
5: So what is the right way to go? So at, at a high level, um, roughly what my piece argues is that I think off chain governance in general is probably superior to on-chain governance. However, there are some things that I think on-chain governance is really good for. Um, For example, I think like wanting to know, wanting to understand uh, what miners think or what they want, on-chain signaling is a great way to do that, right? Like doing off-chain governance to figure out what all the miners think is really hard because it's very hard to put all the miners together in a room, right? Uh, Ethereum does something very similar where miners vote on the gas limit and... This is a pretty potentially a very good idea if you want the gas limit to respond to market forces and to be optimal from the perspective of what miners want. now, if you don't think that's the right way to determine the gas limit, then that's a bad mechanism right so it, it, I think it's sort of a facts and circumstances thing. It really depends on what are you trying to decide, and are the people who you are effectively you know soliciting votes from are they hard to get into the same room and to get uh, to make a sort of informal decision process or decision-making procedure together, but in general, I would say that the flexibility of off-chain governance is very, very valuable, and I think one should be one should be very, very careful in considering throwing that away. You
0: mm-hmm. you raised a really interesting point there. I, D, you want to, you all right, Go ahead, D. I was
2: going to say that um, I don't even think on-chain is possible. I think it always is gonna I think it's always gonna distill down to the meat space, and we've seen that like because you can't get the level of consensus needed with too many humans involved
0: i have I have just, a reason for that, okay. The reason but, why we have such a difficult problem with um, on chain governance is because the the blockchains that we have are completely open to be to contribute to. We have only open contribution from pseudonymous miners that have a vote. And so because we don't have something like the proof of stake, which has a harder tie to the person who makes these contributions and how these governance models change, then we can't get them all in the same room to make a decision or we don't know who those people are. And there are multiple different types of consensus mechanisms. When you move to more of a proof of stake algorithm, you have a much better idea on who's saying what and what contribution they're making to the system. Whereas a completely open and trustless system doesn't maybe have that, or at least in terms of a proof of work because the stake they're putting up is extrinsic to the chain itself, meaning that you don't really know who's saying what in a, in a mining blockchain system. You just know that they had the right block and they proved they put the work in to have it. And so the people who have those types of votes, you can't really tell who they are, what type of resources they have, whereas other governance types of systems or at least consensus types of systems that may have some type of governance, you have a lot more information about those people. And so when you make these types of decisions, it's it basically like a, it's subtle, it's, it's changes. It's, 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 it's different based on what you know about the people who are making the votes.
5: So I agree with that as a point of practicality that in a, in a proof of work based system, you know, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to get a representative sample of your users. You may be able to get a representative sample of your miners or rather of the mining hash power that exists. Right. So it might be that mm-hmm. one miner owns the vast majority of the hash power and therefore they get the vast majority of the, of the signaling through, through, through blocks. Um, however, I think, so, you know, putting aside that question, let's say that, okay, maybe on-chain governance is only really practical when you want to consider users and not just miners in a proof-of-stake-based system, that still leaves, it still begs the question, um, is that the right decision-making procedure to just put it up to a vote of the users? And I
2: I don't know. See, my opinion leans towards no, because... I'm looking out the window right now in the neighborhood. I see this woman, her name's Sally. If I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, do you think that uh, Ethereum should implement ERC 2020? It's a new thing. So that new hotness, she's going to be like, I don't, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But she could very well be using something on her phone that's connected to the Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. So she's utilizing it. She's utilizing Ether. Maybe she doesn't know if she is or not, but why would she get a vote if something is as pertinent as how we upgrade Totally. I mean, it's not, not why would she get a vote, but no, it is. It's like, what, you don't even know what you're talking about. Why are you voting? It's true. Although to be
5: fair, you know, you can argue the same thing about the, about any democracy, right? Like why should, why should Sally get a vote when she doesn't open her, you know, her her papers to see, you know, what's going on in in politics if she's poorly informed. Uh, And there've, you know, there've been democracies where this was the case where like, you, you know, you had to go and pass some tests in order to prove that you're actually eligible to vote because you're knowledgeable enough about the world. And uh, historically, those things tended to be very dangerous because they disenfranchise people from mm. certain groups and from, you know, uh, like who decides what is the kind of information everyone needs to know. So, uh, I, but I agree with you in principle that that's a problem. And that's been a problem since, you know, forever. You know, like the, the Romans, the Greeks, they all talked about like, well, the problem is randos, you know, randos don't know what the fuck they're doing, so why should they be voting <laughs> on what the republic does, right? <laughs> uh, th- on the other hand, though, one thing that does solve at least that version of the problem is what's called liquid democracy. And liquid democracy is an idea that a lot of these proof of stake on-chain governance blockchains are trying to employ, which basically says that, look, you know, I'm it's sort of kind of like a pseudo representative democracy or sort of a some hybrid between representative and direct democracy, where instead of saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm Sally. I don't really know what the hell Ethereum is or what ERC 2020 is, but... You know, I that said, I do have somebody who I trust, and I will delegate my voting power to that person. So I could vote myself if I wanted to, but I don't, you know, I don't follow the stuff, right? But Mm -hmm. that person seems smart, you know. I saw them on a on TV or I read their article and or Vitalik's smart. I'm gonna delegate my vote to Vitalik and I'll do whatever he does. Right. So that to some degree solves that problem, although it still introduces like the weirdness around like well, now people are going to be campaigning on TV to be like, you know, you're try to get your vote <laughs> so that they can delegate to them or whatever. So there's still some unsavoriness that comes with politics, but maybe that's an acceptable trade-off. Um, so, but, but let's sort of assume for the sake of argument that liquid democracy can be implemented and will be implemented fine and people who don't want to directly vote will delegate their votes, right? Mm-hmm. So that solves the problem of totally unqualified people voting, because they'll most likely delegate their votes because they, you know, they don't care. Um, however, now okay now who's going to be voting? who's going to be voting are the people who manage to get the most delegates on their side. So the people like who's going to have the most power? Well, whoever goes on TV or whoever goes on Reddit and says, hey, you know I have great ideas for what should happen in Ethereum, vote for me, delegate me your vote. And most likely in these systems and you know you already see this with EOS uh, and with other delegated proof of stake systems that, that have a liquid democracy type component, is the delegates get paid. They get compensated in some way for voting because voting is sort of like the service. It's almost like the mining in the system. It's how the system achieves consensus uh, about what people want. So the, the the delegates get compensated, which means the delegates now have a financial incentive to get more and more people on their side, right? Okay. Now, this is something we don't do in real-world democracies, right? Mm. We do not pay people more the more votes they get. I feel like because I feel like the the I feel like the lobbyist side
0: of American government has some aspect of what this is and this exactly. is something that I would say a lot of people find unsavory.
5: Yeah, or just repugnant about politics. I was being politically right? correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, shitty. yeah, there you go. No, it's shitty. It's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's a complete shit show. Um, and this is exactly, actually, I, I, I linked to some examples in the article. Uh, this is exactly what you see in blockchains like Lisk or EOS that have delegated proof of stake type systems, is you literally see um, coordinated bribery. Where literally, you know, there'll be a, 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 a miner uh, or a delegate who will say, you know, vote for me and I will give you a kickback of what I receive up to you know, 75% of the taking, right? Um, now that's pretty, that's pretty weird. Uh, yeah, you know, but it's but in a sense it's unsurprising if you look at the incentives, right? Really. Like it's sort of what exactly what you should expect to happen, and so you have all these delegates competing at the point at which now you know your incentive to delegate your vote to somebody is not going to be so much on you know do I think they're going to put the governance in some good hands because you know if you're an individual you still have the same problem you have in a democracy that look your vote doesn't matter that much. Like, it's only one vote, it's only you know, however many EOS you have. It's not going to make a big difference in terms of the actual final decision. So like, why would you spend all this time trying to figure out all this information about what the hell's going on in EOS or any of the 12 chains that you own money in? Instead, you're going to delegate to somebody. And who are you going to delegate to? Well, somebody will pay you, because like, why not? You know, my vote doesn't make a difference anyway. Um, and if you, if you see that it's sort of this, if you look at it from a game theory perspective, what you should expect is that the people who will get the most votes. Are going to be the people who just compete the most over giving kickbacks and so Mm -hmm. essentially you know if if you take that to the limit which maybe you know maybe that's an invalid argument but to sort of take this you know reductio ad absurdum you're going to have governance by people who are best at giving kickbacks so
0: you i have to ask Mm. the soup du jour uh answer to this at the current moment is what about like quadratic voting that's you know brought to brought to the space like uh radical markets has kind of it's blown up these days, right? So you have the Vitalik writing an article about trying to implement these types of voting mechanisms inside of Ethereum so you can kind of cross-pollinate between these political ideas and decentralized systems that have like kind of distributed authority. Have you mm-hmm. seen any value in these as answers to governance problems?
5: Um remind me remind me one more time what quadratic voting is. So
0: quadratic voting is basically that um you pay the uh, as a quadratic function, the number of votes you're willing to buy oh, yes, is yes, basically yes. you know a square of what of how many votes there are right so the amount of money you're staking mm-hmm. is the square of the number of votes you're trying to put up, and so right. the people who want to buy a shitload of votes are paying a significantly more money than the people who are buying a small amount of money, so you can't have this monopolization of voting power for the people who care about something. It kind of has somewhat of an equilibrium. It's it's an attempt to find yeah. an equilibrium between the the large money holders and power of the of the kind of people who don't really give a shit or don't have much yeah. to say.
5: Yeah, yeah, no. I think quadratic voting is is a fantastic idea. I mean, essentially what it does is it flattens out the the, the distribution, right? So if you imagine that the way that the distribution of wealth looks, it's like look, you know, the one percent have fifty percent of the of the Bitcoin or something, right, or or Ether or whatever. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that's true. Let's just pretend that's true, right? Well, in a you know you have a curve that looks really sharp in terms of the holdings and and the percentile of of people uh, in quadratic voting system. That that curve becomes shallower, right? It's mm-hmm. not quite as steep, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, there is still obviously some some going to be some massive inequality there, but it's it's flattened out, and that seems like a good thing, right? Uh, and if you make it you know instead of quadratic, you make it cubic voting well, then it's flattened even more. If you make a quartic, it's flattened even more, right? So is quadratic the right number? I don't know. Someone just decided quadratic because that sounds good. Um, I think it's, it's worth experimenting, right? Like <laughs> That's if, a good if point. If you want to go even harder, you What's can make a exponent? cubic, you can make it What's quintic. Exponent, yeah, exactly. Need. What's the exponent? Like, I don't know. Someone picked one and quadratic it was. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a good idea, but it's still, again, it sort of begs the question of like fundamentally, is this the right uh, paradigm that we should be using of this idea that the... You know, the distribution of income is the right way to sample from people to get decision-making procedures All right, in to, or to inform our governance.
0: Here we go. Um, let's start from like maybe forget what people what, – what, what we have. Let's start from first principles and say what it should be. Like who, who are the people we should be giving power to make decisions on things that are esoteric? None. Do do you, do you make that distinction at all, or like because you have to, like people have to make decisions, things have to change for the better. Who gets that power? I mean, in my opinion, it should be the people who actually give a shit about the change. But the option yeah, should be available for those that that change. Everyone has a
2: why they give a shit, and that's the thing that people. That's the thing that changes, and that's the unpredictable. ...variable that you add into that equation, trying to decide who gets to do what and how what gets done gets done. I honestly think that's why Bitcoin stands the chance to do the best, because no one says anything. But we are seeing, I'm, I'm solidly in the camp that there's no such thing as a new idea. So this quadratic voting thing does sound excellent, Corey, and I will read your book, Radical Markets. You keep uh, recommending to me, um, but I'm just waiting for the day when the Bitcoin cash and the Bitcoin core group start to say the same things they're saying. Now they just switch. Hmm. Like, like that's going to be how politics work now. I mean, that's, it's next thing we know, I bet you two years from now, Bitcoin cores, in. we need a block size increase. We need it stat and Bitcoin cash. They're going to be saying, no, Segwit. Now's the time to do Segwit. <laughs> so it's just, you know, we're seeing the same stories play out. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's one thing that I do like is like um, people say, don't reinvent the wheel. And I think it's the stupidest fucking euphemism ever because nobody are, nobody's rolling around on fucking stones. Like people reinvent the wheel lots of times. And if anything, what blockchain is doing is like you said, uh, Hasib is like, we're just starting from square one again because the systems uh, that were in place aren't, aren't doing too hot. And maybe we're just going to try and build a new system that competes. but I don't necessarily think it's going to be drastically different. Uh, I think everything is kind of it seems to me like everything seems to be going the same way. So even in your distributions, Corey, those, those articles that you wrote up about the distributions of these ICOs, it's like
0: one or two people that own all of the tokens all right well i mean that 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 had that had i'd say monetary profit incentive for doing those types of things but the idea of blockchains as a new technology is just now coming to the point where we're we're getting around to being okay with the fact that different blockchains have different specific use cases and that's that narrative is just now forming, I'd say. Some people are maximalists and say Bitcoin is the only thing that exists, or Ethereum is the only thing that will exist, or EOS is going to take them all. All these different narratives coming around. But at least we're saying that, you know, Ethereum is a world computer. Bitcoin's good for money. We're becoming okay with the fact that there's like an enterprise blockchain. And because of that, the governance around the ideology of what that blockchain can be can be specific towards the people who care about that type of use instead of saying blockchain is going to save the world. It's called Bitcoin. It's going to do all of the things, which means that all of the people who care about all of the things now care about what that blockchain is supposed to be. And I think that's, that's the problem. That's incredibly hard to solve, especially yeah. in an open scenario. If you have a, a blockchain platform that is specifically designed to do a specific type of things, then the people who care about those things can maybe build a governance structure around it, whether that be on-chain, off-chain, or whatever it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But when everybody who cares about all the things is trying to figure out what this thing's supposed to do, you have a clash of ideology. And that becomes a a mess. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I'm not even sure if that's a solvable problem. I hope it is. But we can't really move forward until we start making some decisions. And Bitcoin has shown that making decisions is really hard when you're trying to solve all the problems at once.
5: So I definitely agree with you, Corey. I think the, where, where I would start in answering the, the question that we started with, which is you know, who should be doing the governance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the place that I would start is to really try to clearly see what is the thing we're trying to govern right now, right? Uh, Sitting inside the blockchain world, it seems like there's this epic battle being waged between Bitcoin and ether and EOS and blah, 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 and all this shit. Um, But if you look at blockchain from the outside, like we have just started, like the gun just got fired and it's like the first inch of the horses, you know, past the starting line, right? Mm -hmm. Like this could all go to zero. The final chain could be something nobody has ever heard of. Um, It could be some weird hybrid between multiple coins. Who the fuck knows, right? And so the place where I would look at this from is that these are all very experimental technologies that we don't fundamentally know how they work in the limit. We don't fundamentally know how they're going to change. We don't fundamentally know how they're going to scale, how they're going to whatever, right? Um, There are a lot of things that just, for one, if if you look at blockchain from the perspective of, look, this is... This is experimental technology that we're trying out. It's a movement, certainly. It's community, certainly. But at the core of that movement and at the core of that excitement is some radical new technology that we don't know whether it works yet. Like, for example, like in a lot of things, even Bitcoin, which we you know has been the most battle-tested and most robust cryptocurrency, we don't know a lot of things about things that could potentially go wrong. Right? For example, when transaction fees start to dominate the block rewards uh, over over oh, sorry, over the Coinbase transactions. Uh, we don't know what happens. We don't know if there's going to be massive thrash, you know, huge forking battles. We have no idea, right? We don't know if, if what will happen if Bitcoin gets 51% attacked, right? Uh, we don't know lots of potential attacks that people have talked about that are theoretical attacks against it that no one has actually seen in practice. We don't know if they'll start happening. Um, and you go down the list, and that's just Bitcoin. You go down the list, there are lots of things that we just don't know about how these things are going to work in the limit. And there's also lots of research, lots of new cryptography, lots of new distributed systems research uh, that's coming out that will almost certainly inform the ways that we want to build these systems going forward, right? Like, we are just getting started. So what that tells me is that it is way too early to start ossifying these systems and to tell ourselves, look, Bitcoin is now and forever what it is, or Ether and now and forever is what it is. Therefore, we should give it to the people, apportion it out, and let them decide what they do with it right? Like that makes sense with land. That makes sense with, you know, uh, uh, some other things that that are sort of more static and well-defined. Um, it doesn't make sense with like, you know, I don't know, like imagine, uh, you know, the Manhattan Project or something, right? That's what I see Bitcoin and all cryptocurrency really as at the scale of the Manhattan Project, right? This is not the kind of thing that you would just put to a public vote and say, hey, do you want us to try out? You know, the, <laughs> do you want us to try out the atom bomb? You know, in the middle <laughs> of the desert. What are we gonna do with this, guys? Let the scientists figure that shit out. Uh, you know, you just sit back and like, you know, if we if we do figure it out, we'll give you some nuclear reactors on the side or whatever. Um, so, so the way that I see it, like, given how early these things are, and given how uh, uh, you know, just, just poorly understood they really are, really, the we, we understand how to govern things like that right? We know how to govern CERN. We know how to govern the Manhattan Project. We know how to govern nonprofits. You know how to govern the Linux Foundation. Blockchains are much more akin to those things than they are to, like, land, you know? Mm. Like, I don't think the way you should approach these systems is to say, cool, you know, we have blockchain now. Wonderful. It's arrived. It's here to save us all. Let's cut it up into pieces and give a little bit to everyone.
0: I'm going right? to I have to disagree here. I, I, I'm not sure that we know how to govern these types of things because this is one of the first instantiations of a money that doesn't have a central authority. Like we, The whole idea of a blockchain is to completely do away with the fact that one person can make a decision that affects everyone. It's, it's about creating a system that has incredibly well-defined rule sets and incentives so that the individual wants of everything equalizes to the common good. And because of that, like most governing structures that we've had has been a very hierarchical approach where like the leader says this is what's going to happen and then that's what happens. And in a blockchain ecosystem, especially an open one, that's the anathema of what of how these things are supposed to move. So we're not so terribly I, sure how I, to make rule sets that work that way.
5: Yeah. So I agree to an extent and I disagree to an extent. I think, again, this is one of those sort of facts and circumstances thing where I'd say there are some blockchains where – you know, for example, blockchains that haven't even launched yet or blockchains that are very early in their development cycle, where, you know, really it actually does make sense for one person to control the whole thing, right? It's sort of like, you know, Thomas Edison figuring out how to build his light bulb, right? Like until the light bulb is built, like there's really no reason for us to all be democratizing light bulbs. Uh, The light bulb doesn't really exist yet, right? So there's some blockchains for which I would say it's totally fine to have one person or a central team in a very, very central position, basically able to control the entire blockchain because there's no real blockchain yet. You know, like the, the, the cake has not been baked yet. Be patient when the cake is out, then we can start cutting it in pieces. Right. Um, on the other hand, there are systems like Bitcoin or ether, which I'd say are fully functioning blockchains and do need to be decentralized. Um, and so totally granted, right. There needs to be some governance system that does not put a single point of failure, uh, or a single point of control into that system. What I would argue there though, is that, uh, the, the way that we've traditionally done this is using systems of checks and balances, right? Uh, like, for example, like, you know, American democracy, I'd say, is in some sense decentralized, although you, know, you could obviously argue with, with some definition of that. Um, but the way in which it's decentralized between the executive, the judicial and the legislative is not through, you know, the, the some, you know, each of them have power that's centralized within each system. But each of those systems can interact with each other. Right, and and can be checks on each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So that prevents the accrual of power in any one part of that system. The exact same thing is what happens in Bitcoin, and the exact same thing is what happens in Ethereum. Is that there's a subtle balance of power of checks and balances that are not enforced intra protocol, but are sort of implicitly enforced. Mm -hmm. Right, in that look, if you piss off the miners. The miners are going to stop mining on your chain, and they're going—you know—you're going to lose all your hashing power, uh, or they're going to fork to another version of the chain. Or if you piss off your users or you piss off your developers, they will go to another chain. They will fork, and they will bring all their talents and all their abilities and all their usage to that other chain, right? The threat of forking is, as far as I can tell, the a, a very effective analog to the power of you know in in you know the United States government, for example, of different uh uh. uh Uh, branches of government to be able to prevent each other from acting or behaving inappropriately, right? Now, the question is, is that system better than an on-chain governance system? Well, it, it sort of depends. I mean, one thing explicitly about that system is that it gives the people who are in the best position to actually make informed decisions, such as, you know, the core team who are, you know actual developers who are dealing with actually hard shit about cryptography and distributed <laughs> systems and all this stuff that they have to weigh in on as opposed to just some rando who decides hey i think the block size should be 64 megabytes because that sounds bigger uh like you know this is hard shit like this is the kind of stuff that happens at like cern or the linux foundation like you want grown-ups making those decisions you don't want some rando on reddit deciding okay price price goes up numbers go up Agreed. let's do it uh, <laughs> so that, that i think is good but you still want some check on those things right in an on-chain governance system, it's very hard to understand how we would even formalize such a thing where, you know, maybe, maybe you can imagine, you know, protocol engineers decide on things and then, you know, the community can vote up or yeah, yay or nay on whether or not they want them. But then at that point, you have, you know, protocol engineers having to go and campaign and like, you know, to explain to everybody, well, hey guys, here's why I'm, you know, implementing this, you know, change to our ECC curve or whatever. And it's like, why, why are we doing that? What an enormous waste of time and energy to have to convince people of every minutiae of every decision we make, when most of the time they don't really care. Uh, at the same time, you know, on-chain governance doesn't make it easier to represent the interests of random people. Um, but I would just argue that right now, random people don't even know what's in their interest, right? Like they, it's, it's hard even for people who are really sophisticated about blockchains to know what the implications of different actions are going to be. Um, random people are even less able to make those distinctions. Uh, so I, I, I've, I spent... I think I spend maybe
0: 90% of my day every single day for the past three and a half years trying to understand how blockchains work. And I still couldn't tell you all of the implications of specific changes in certain blockchains. Totally. Which means that people who don't do what I do have no fucking clue of the types of changes and their implications will have. It's, along, it's, it's basically along the ideology and the narrative you put around those changes that they get behind. Because, 100%. like you said, we are very, very early, and we don't have enough data to make reasonable decisions or ideas about what types of changes do what to these systems. Because it's an incredibly different, radically different architecture on how so humans communicate, in, right? We're back at square one. Who do we put in charge of these things? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and a, that's yeah. the question that I think, that I, think I find betting. so interesting it's all betting this. at this
0: point and I think that's kind of the wonder of, the wonder of all this is that we've, we've created systems that allow you to bet on the correct types of changes which then incentivize other people to build on those systems
5: can, can you elaborate on that what do you mean by betting on the right kinds of changes
0: by buying the coin of a given chain you are betting that that chain will be successful in the future by building something on a given chain allowing certain types of functionality, you're betting that people will use that chain. There's a lot of things that you do if you're contributing or purchasing the coin of a given chain is basically akin to betting that chain is going to be the future, will, will be used in the future. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. And that's the ultimate scarcity, is time or attention. And so mm. that's all we're doing at this point, is betting that something will be useful in the future or that... The experience you gain or wisdom you gain in doing that thing will be useful in making better decisions later on. And we've created systems that allow you to like really, really, really quantify that. Or as opposed to like by doing these types of things, you, if I build something on Ethereum, I'm probably going to own some Ethereum because I'm hoping that utility increases and the value of my Ethereum increases based on the utility I put into the system. That fat protocol mm-hmm. ideology, and so there are there is no other system in history that allows me to do that type of thing where contribution increases the investment that I have in that thing.
5: So I I'd, I'd somewhat disagree with that. Okay. I think um, you know, look at the the U.S. election in 2016 when Donald Trump won. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the the interesting thing you bring up, and I, I love that you brought up the notion of betting because I think that's very fascinating within the realm of blockchains. Um, when Donald Trump won the election, stock markets popped. Right, there was there was there was a massive increase in in the value of, of stocks, and they surged because basically, you know, uh, traders assumed that what Trump was going to do was going to be very good for business, and they were at least in some part vindicated on that. Um, which implies that basically, there there's the same thing going on in the real world, and same thing going on in, in public markets. Right, people sort of. Uh, implicitly have have some belief about if Donald Trump wins or if Hillary Clinton wins, Do we th- what effect do we think that's going to have on the value of different assets in the economy? Um, the, the downside of it, though, and this actually brings to an interesting idea, I think it was proposed by Robin Hanson, I could be wrong, called Futarchy. And, you know, the, the downside of this is that you don't know what people, especially the people who are most sophisticated, really project is going to happen monetarily until you decide... Does Hillary win or does Trump win, right? Once you decide, okay, Trump won, now we see what markets do, right? But we couldn't see what markets were going to do in advance and decide on the basis of that, right? And that would actually be kind of great if we could. That would that would be a wonderful tool. And that's actually one of the ideas that Robin Hanson puts forward in the Idea of Turkey, where basically what you would do is you'd run a prediction market. And in this prediction market, you allow anyone to basically bet, uh, you know, if, you know, let's say, for example, uh, Donald Trump or some BIP gets passed or whatever, uh, you know, would the price of Bitcoin go up or down? And on the basis of what people in this prediction market believe would happen, uh, that is basically able to better inform you what we should do. Uh, and, and the advantage of that, like instead of just kind of, you know, uh, going on Reddit and saying, hey, I think this, I think that, um, it forces people to have skin in the game and to have some, you know, uh, a realistic expectation by betting their own money Uh, what they think is going to happen, whether some asset goes up or down. Uh, That said, you know, that does exist in the real world, too, in the sense that, you know, if I move to some city and I start a business there, right, well, like, uh, by me starting a business, like, I'm actually improving the quality of the city, I'm improving property values, I'm maybe bringing more people into the city. Um, This kind of thing is not, you know, it's not new, right? It's always existed. Obviously, it's very, very diffuse, in the world of like you know me making my country better by me having a job, um, but it's, it's true in uh, it, it's true in many ways in, in many different um, uh, societies. It's just never been quite as international and never quite as synchronous as it's been in the world of blockchains, and never quite as fast. Uh, and that I think has been a big and very interesting change is that on the time span of weeks or even days, right. People can respond to incentives to be like, "Hey, this new chain is coming up. I think it's awesome. I'm going to start using it, and that makes and I'm going to get other people to come on board and start using it. And pretty soon, like, there's this massive surge of energy that normally in a city might take, you know, ten years for a city to grow up and you know have a lot of uh, people coming in and wanting to make it better and more awesome and raising property values. In a blockchain, it can happen in the course of a few days. That I think is new and different. Um, whether that will be in the long run sustainable whether that'll still exist 10 years from now, I have no idea. Uh, that might be an artifact of us being in this very speculative bubbly kind of time. Um, but the fact that it's so much lower friction than it would be in almost any other uh, system, that I think is a fundamentally new thing. And I'm not sure what that means in the long run, but I, find, I think that, is, um, that does have big implications for what the world might look like in the future.
2: Very nice. Everyone, I guess if I could throw my two cents, I feel like the more generalized the token is, the less centralized leadership it needs. And the more specific, like Corey, what you were talking about, very specific blockchains that do very specific things, that specificity alone kind of implies that you need an expert, you need a chieftain, chieftain of the chain. That's what you fucking want to call it. I don't know. Maybe I just coined it. But <laughs> you need someone. <laughs> I,
0: have, uh, I have I have incredibly that? strong opinions on like the paradox you just you just brought up. Well, we don't have all day. No, we got all day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we should do a part two. Yeah, we yeah, might yeah. need to do a part two on this because I'm really enjoying it. That's why. I, that's why I
2: throw out absolutions. They get the best opinions to come out. But we. I mean. That's the way, at least it seems, it's going, whether we like it or not. If something happens to Vitalik tonight, it's going to be a bad deal for Ether, for Ethereum.
0: Let me bring this idea up, is that when you have a more generalized token that is supposed to cover a broad swath of utility, that becomes more and more difficult to implement which means that you need high, more and more specialized people to take advantage, or to, to be the people who are creating that type of thing. Which means you might want to delegate the decisions on how that thing is made to more specialized people, right? Whereas on the on the flip side, if you're making an incredibly specialized thing, you can then delegate the decisions on how that thing is made to a small group of people. Like it, it's it's kind so the opposite. It's it's kind of the opposite. It, it's, a, it's, a, but it, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to be completely agnostic and you want a token that does all the things, that's a very, very hard technical problem to solve, which means that only a, f- a smaller amount of people are capable of solving it. Or maybe that's it's the pretty... opposite in that you have, like, you require an incredibly large swath of people to input their decisions on that type of situation to make the correct decision to enable that type of technology.
2: I don't know. That... That puts way too much trust in the hands of something's supposed to be general and everyone's supposed to be using. That puts way too much trust in the hand of a small group of people. In my just in my opinion, because like I don't trust Senator A, who did a great job in livestock and built a life for himself, to make decisions about like I don't know the electrical grid. Well, that's like what, com- what does that do? That's no. what
0: committees are for, right? That's like in terms of like we make the same like political government analogy, committees are made for that.
5: So I would argue that the the specificity or generality of a blockchain, like I can see it going both ways. I can actually both of your arguments in that one, let's say you have some hyper-specific blockchain that's only supposed to be used for, uh, I don't know, trading carbon credits or something like that, right? Well, okay, that's super, super specific. Um, and it probably requires some very specific governance that like random people just don't know the compliance laws around carbon taxes or whatever. Um, then on the other hand, of course, like building a fully general purpose, you know, world computer, you know, decentralized uh, virtual machine, whatever. That's also a very complex problem that requires world-class computer scientists. And that also requires, you know, very specialized people at the helm. So my, what what that tells me is that that's probably the wrong dimension on which to measure whether or not governance should be or should not be centralized. To my mind, I think the the best signal of whether or not govern, governance should be centralized or not is the rate of change in the blockchain itself. Mm-hmm. If the blockchain is very static and it's sort of well understood exactly what's going on, what changes are ever going to be made, and there's very little thrash that's going to be going on, uh, then it's like, okay, cool, we can decentralize this thing, we can sort of pull out the core team, we can kind of make it, make it a more slow agonizing process to get shit done because we already kind of know the final form of this blockchain, right? There's less shepherding that needs to happen from a very capable core team. For a very early stage blockchain, you want the core team holding the hand of this thing all the way through because first of all, no one else is gonna give enough of a shit. Um, But second is that this thing is gonna change so much that you just don't have time to sit around and like get consent. It's like, you know, it's like startups, right? In the same way that a, a five person startup needs a CEO who just makes a fucking decision and we go. Uh, Whereas if you're a 9,000 person company, you probably need committees on committees and SVPs and blah, 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 before any real large decision gets made. Like it's not enough to just say, well, CEO said so. So here we go. Uh, The CEO doesn't have enough, uh, uh, you know, in in a massive corporation, like you need one more consensus, you need more buy-in. And the decisions are just more multidimensional and complex. And so it's okay for them to be slower. So I would argue that, the right dimension to look at things in is more of the speed of change in that blockchain, which would imply in a sense that maybe Bitcoin should be the most decentralized given that it's the slowest to really change. It's sort of the most ossified in what it's going to be. And that implies like, Hey, maybe we can open up Bitcoin even more and make it even more decentralized than it already is. Uh, Whereas something that's changing fairly rapidly, especially these smaller coins, but even something like ether, which given its size is changing pretty rapidly relative to something like, you know, um, I don't know, Ripple, which I assume isn't really changing at all. Um, maybe <laughs> Ripple should be very decentralized and Ether should be pretty centralized. Maybe that, that is the right approach. And once they get close to their steady state is when it makes sense to start pulling away some of that power from the core team. Well put.
2: That is well put. I like it when I can be right.
5: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. I was, I was trying to make you both right. It was just purely diplomacy. <laughs>
2: Well, we got to wrap it up. We have a trademark question that we like to ask all of our guests oh, no. and um, it is in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain?
5: Oh, shit. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. <laughs> 10 words or less can describe blockchain? Okay. Well, I, I gotta mentally count my words. This is not going to make for a good podcast uh, listening. That's the best um, podcast listening. We are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. A blockchain is okay. Hold on, let me count. Let me count these up. A blockchain is a distri- fuck. All right. Uh, <laughs> We're doing, I mean, doing that in there right now. For, the, for, for, that for the for the listeners. He is.
0: He has his fingers out and he is touching I, them I do, as he's saying words. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay.
5: A, a blockchain is a uh, protocol. That achieves decentralized redundant consensus.
0: Nailed it. Okay,
5: that's 10 That's words. pretty solid. And I, I would
0: give you more credit than most people because you included a blockchain is into that ten words or less. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay. Most yeah. people, most people like start their ten words or less after those three.
5: Fair enough. Well done, sir. I'll take well it. Well done. I'll take it.
2: Well, Haseeb, thank you very much for swinging by. I wish we had even more time
5: because oh, it's like
2: we were we were just about to start up another great conversation but <laughs> we'll cut in um you're more than welcome to come back anytime Absolutely, man um especially if you keep writing those bomb ass articles and keeping me up till 1 in the morning then i'm gonna have to oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah <laughs> I'm have to invite you right back
5: well so, thank you so much for bringing me on it was a lot of fun and uh yeah i hope to come back on sometime
2: and We're back and hey, we're back we're back Impiness, bitch. we hope you enjoyed that episode or uh, that that interview and dude, we'll talk about maybe one more thing and we'll let you guys ride for the week on tpp but of course you'll hear excellent content from reese uh from Corey and colin uh from from dj nes from myself from jesse broke the network is thriving like a motherfucker But we wanted to offer you guys an opportunity to sign up for the beta of a very special podcasting app. We're working very closely with the team, MIT, Sam, uh, Lawrence, not Lawrence. I know Sam is leading the team. And um, basically, this podcasting app is going to be the shit you could tip in the app, right? Lightning tips in the app. It's going to be dope. So lots of features. Um, and they're working on a very unique feature where you could also also partake into like um, focused discussion um, about any of the topics that we bring up in a show or any of our shows. Um, so like individual Reddit threads underneath um, the underneath the episodes. So give me one second, show I'll be right back. I need elevated music.
3: Mhm <laughs> 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 All right.
2: Sorry about that. I'll cut back in now. So, how do no, you No, know? you don't
4: need to. I I gave the people that elevator music the whole time.
2: Was that long? Sorry, we, there was a baby emergency, and they needed all hands on deck. My brother and sister-in-law. Okay, life happens. We're right back at you. Hopefully, um, that wasn't too long for you guys. Apologize. Um, air is the app. A-I-R-R Details will be in the Slack group um, For the app So if you join the Slack you can get details there It's a very cool podcasting app Uh, We're we're excited to be working With Sam and his team on it Um, Links to the beta Will be in the Slack as well So just pop in like hey man I want to sign up for that podcast app We need as many people to sign up as we can So we can get good feedback When it's launched So um, please help us out there other than that, let's get into some more crypto shit.
1: All right,
2: what do you want to talk about? Hmm, that's a good question. All right, how do you deal with the lull? Like last time, you weren't like bought in. I think you weren't as bought into crypto as you are now. So how are you, um, you know, facing this lull? In the industry, this, this, what looks to be what could be the beginning uh, of another, like, 2014. But go ahead.
1: Um,
4: I think that um, it won't be as long and drawn out as 2014. So uh, I'm, I'm still excited. So I'm, I'm holding and I'm holding for a couple of years. So those don't really matter. Like what crypto does this year or next,
2: and I'm, I'm a lot more, about more involved than just price, though.
4: Like what? Yeah, and I'm am I'm, right I'm just I'm a lot more involved in the space this time around. So, I'm advising companies. I'm I'm entrenched in the details. I'm I'm making sure people are legitimate. I'm making sure white papers are on point. Making sure their marketing efforts are good, and I'm spreading myself pretty thin. I'm freelancing crypto. So you know.
2: How's it the It's working?
4: It's going good, man. I just reformatted a white paper the other day. Uh that was cool. So
2: uh You know, I used to hate on white papers. Probably,
4: white papers are great. In fact, I should probably say this off the air, but if Corey just spent all of his time writing white papers and then I just I designed them, and uh, we could make like a lot of money.
2: We should. Why why don't we? I mean we would be the best poised to do something like that. Yeah. I don't know, but we do a lot of things already. Maybe we should focus on just like one thing, and like the show and the network, and then one other thing. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows where this world goes? That sounds like a that sounds like a Pharrell lyric. Need some funky beats. Who knows where this world goes? Pharrell does funky tunes for Despicable Me. I know.
4: Who knew that Thanos was gonna kill everybody in Infinity Wars?
2: Mm fifty percent of everybody. Exactly.
4: Yeah. Who's who specifically? Just for those that haven't seen the movie.
2: Should we just list them off at this point? Yeah. Sorry guys. If you haven't seen the movie, like I don't know what's wrong with you. We're not gonna we're gonna slowly spoil this. We're gonna lose listeners for this. I'm well aware of that, but just one the one this episode is brought to you by Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange's pile of dust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Um anyways. Well, um there's what's up? Here you
4: go. There's some there's some people that disintegrated in the dust and there's other that straight up died. Gamora Vision, Loki dude right, that's, that's too
2: much, just one, just one that was like one scene, so anyways, look, um, I wanted to talk about something, so there was something that I saw, and it seems to be happening in like smaller countries, but it's kind of neat anyways um, the whole blockchain um city, the whole blockchain um community vibe it seems to be coming back but it's not bitcoin anymore it's just blockchain which makes zero fucking sense be- without a currency but whatever i'll have that argument with cory when he's back on the show um but people look like they're willing again t- to get to a point where they just do commerce in their communities right with uh-huh. with just crypto uh, which is a closed loop, which is what you want. Like you want to get paid in crypto and buy things in crypto because crypto's yet to cross that chasm, and it needs to. Like there needs to be more people getting paid in crypto. Um, uh, well, that's that's think? an issue. Bitpay. Would you Would you get paid in crypto? If somebody offered, like, hey, I'll pay you fifty percent cash, fifty percent Bitcoin.
4: Uh, n- No, because I can I can take care of my own investments I, You know If I wanted to invest 50% in Bitcoin I would just do that I don't need people to pay me in it
2: Yeah, but at that point It's not an investment Or you only view it as an investment Like, I've yeah, been spending Bitcoin Like, I've been spending no, Bitcoin For a couple of weeks
4: Nope when, when the price starts leveling off a little bit then I'll start paying for things, but it's too volatile. But you know, Stephen Pear needs to figure that out. And there hasn't been too much uh oh, development in Bitpay in the last year or so.
2: That's Stephen Pear. to leave that up to like one people. One per one people. Can't leave it up to one people's one people's.
4: No. Well, if he doesn't take care of it then Bitcoin cash people are gonna win because that's their whole argument.
2: If Bitcoin Cash, like, wins, then I think Bitcoin, I think crypto loses, period. Because all that shows is that a faction or whatever you can call it of people can politically influence their way to a point where... Their new owner. I think it I it think it's like a huge notch on the bad column for this entire space if Bitcoin Cash eventually usurps Bitcoin core.
4: well. Yeah,
2: my 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 main
4: thing is if you accept Bitcoin using BitPay, you don't truly accept Bitcoin because you have an inability to access your address directly, which means you can't use like 90% on wallets.
2: Who who else allows you to sell stuff for Bitcoin or take Bitcoin if you are selling stuff?
4: Uh, Cash app, right? hmm But it needs the ability to deposit your own crypto into it. Otherwise, it would be perfect.
2: You know what I'm not... You know what I'm very surprised? That Shapeshift isn't more... Um, loud spoken about the fact that if you use their API, then you can take any cryptocurrency that you could shapeshift.
4: You're right. They should be more outspoken about that.
2: Because like I feel like there's a lot of people that have a lot of different cryptos and they want to pay for things with the crypto that they want, but they can't. They're stonewalled into like. But maybe they're not. Maybe there's a reason for that because the governments would fucking super-duper try to shut them down. If they were just this single point of liquidity for all of the tokens, the government would just, like, come for them like white on rice, baby.
4: Yep. I'm wearing a Shapeshift shirt right now. Doing my part.
2: Yep. We're helping you out, Shapeshift. We're giving you some free... Yeah, by the way, guys, if you don't know what Shapeshift is... If you're that new, don't worry. If you are that new, you need to be joining the fucking Slack. What is wrong with you?
4: Five hundred members deep.
2: Yeah, but five hundred you...
4: members, pretty go well. Oh, Solve care.
2: I see what you did there. Oh, well done. It's good. It's a good place to be. Um. Oh no, we are bro. We we do have a, like a legit the Horizon Horizon Communications. Mm -hmm. So if you guys have been listening for some time now We've been talking to you about an ICO um, Which isn't something we do a lot of We reserve announcements for that Um, But this one I thought kind of struck my fancy Because it's actually trying to give a physical product um, To people and just kind of leveraging Blockchain technology to raise money as a securitized token Mm -hmm. With access to the global financial world If things go the way we would love them to go. So, Horizon of Communications, um, they're trying to give high-speed LTE internet to places that otherwise do not have it, like Bermuda and other places in the Caribbean, uh, rural areas in the U.S. Um, yeah, check out the announcements. Check out, we recently did an episode with Gilbert, so check all that out. That's it, guys. Their alpha's oh, about to launch. Yep, their alpha's about to launch. Shit is going down. Uh um, let's say. Uh do we have anything else? I don't know. Nah, that's w- it for me, man. I would gladly get fucking paid in Bitcoin. It would take all the stress out. The only thing I would need to do is cash out the certain amount um that I got to pay my bills. And guess what? Since it's an instantaneous cash out, there is no tax ramifications, baby. So I would just have it auto. I would tell Coinbase, I say, "Hey, Coinbase, whenever I get paid every every two weeks, auto withdrawal." By the way, you can do that. You can auto withdraw every two weeks. Auto withdraw the crypto. Boom, Skadoosh. No tax ramifications because and it's out. And then, uh, oh yeah, baby, living large on crypto, baby, with my shift card. That was a brain dump right there. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Um,
4: I didn't hear any of that, so it's all good.
2: Oh, my God. Your internet is terrible. All (laughs) right. Play the outro.